0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. If you're coming joining us live, then do us a favor and smash that like button. It helps us out. It helps grow the show. And subscribe, of course, to the Cover 3 podcast on YouTube. Smash the bell for notifications so that you get an alert any time that we go live. Uh, college football is you know, starting to spring up in the air. We, we mentioned the Clemson Tigers hitting the practice field this week. We're starting to see all across the country some of those power conference programs are getting in action. We will be detailing some of the takeaways and storylines from that. Uh, all throughout the next coming months so make sure of course that uh you are keeping it locked right here but today's episode is a fun one because it is one that invites in you uh the viewers and the listeners of the cover three podcast we're going to tackle the mail bag and uh if you want to add a question to the big old bag of mail you can do so by leaving us a five star review and in that review uh put your question and we'll add it to the big old bag of mail uh Let's get, I mean, any, any, uh, business or housekeeping that we need to knock out? I know we're excited. You know, we got casts coming off, you know, we got, we got big days here in the, in the extended cover three family. Um, how, how's everybody doing?
2: Kenny Pickett's got eight and a half inch hands. That is the big story of the day.
0: Oh, that's right. We're combining. We're combining. Oh, Like like he's got Whopper junior hands.
2: Yeah. he has
3: got tiny little hands. The, um, he was wearing gloves and couldn't grip the ball at the senior bowl. They're going to start dissecting this. Oh, I hate I hate that aspect of it. I mean, Joe Burrow had the best. Like, do you go that route and just say, I should retire now, like troll everybody? That could look really bad if you're not Joe Burrow. You know, like in a couple of years, it could be back to haunt him.
0: Can, Kenny Pickett has amounts of swag, but it is not the amount of swag that Joe no. Burrow has in terms of being able to uh, come and create a big character out of it. This class sucks for quarterbacks. <laughs> I'm just gonna like, yes. I w- if I was a team in need
3: of a quarterback, I would be panicking. I would be kicking the tires on Mitchell Trubisky. I'd be you know looking at Jameis Winston. I would be looking at any other option. And it's not. I don't want to rip them because I think there might be some value in the second round, but. If you're a team and your expectation is first round, I would not want to touch any of them in the first round.
2: Um, I'm, I'm not going to say they suck, but I will <laughs> say the
3: class sucks, not each not uh, in the individual.
2: I will say though like I have the the more I've been prepping for the draft and doing all this stuff, it's like the more into Malik Willis I'm getting just because he's the only one that really shows any kind of signs of anything special. Upside. Yep.
3: Upside could be there. By the way, Just so we're clear, my class of 1996 might be the worst draft class of all time. So (laughs) I'm speaking from a place of expertise. Tony Banks was the first quarterback selected. Uh, I believe it was the second round. I don't think we had a first rounder. Jeff Lewis out of Northern Arizona, who is no longer with us. RIP Isn't that a Juco? Uh, No, I thought it was. No, it's FCS. Yeah, it's FCS. FCS. He played there. Uh, then Bobby Hoying was taken right before me from Ohio, Ohio State. State. Yeah, it was not an illustrious class. It definitely might be the worst class of all time. And this one, I don't even—I don't think it'll challenge that, but it's, it's not great. Was it the
0: full all draft in one day for you?
3: First three rounds were on the first f- Saturday, and then it carried over to Sunday. And that was the longest night of my life, Saturday I- to Sunday. Because I thought I would get picked in the third round, worst case. And I didn't. And it was like I was getting ready to send out applications to, you know, medical school or go back to, you know, master something. You know, I did not want to go in the real world, but I thought my football career was done because I didn't get picked.
2: I miss when they did the draft like that. Like I liked the two days just nonstop marathon because you just sit down that weekend and you would watch the entire thing and get it over with. I don't like that they've stretched out to like four days or three days now.
0: Well, there was the one year where the first round took like four hours. Yeah. And then they kind of realized we
3: can't... First primetime episode one, Mm -hmm. I think. And then they gave it from 15 to 10 or 12 or whatever they cut it down to. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking
4: of quarterbacks, um, I've been telling you guys for a long time, hey, that quarterback class uh, of 20... Was it 2019? QB recruiting class? How it sucked? um, The one with Spencer at number one. And now... Yeah, exactly. Now we're seeing the, the fruits of that. Like, you don't have the... There's no good early entries in, in this this class from the 2019 class. Like maybe maybe you know maybe Malik Willis. Uh, your your following that was pretty good. We think Bryce Young obviously uh, and there's some obviously C.J. Stroud and those dudes for next year. But our class of 2023 rankings just dropped yesterday on 24/7 Sports. Big you know, three month deep dive. A lot of debates every Wednesday. Two sometimes three hour calls breaking guys down. A lot of effort going into this. You can listen to more on the twenty four seven sports college ball recruiting podcast if you want thirty minute deep dive. Our top three players are quarterbacks right now. Mm. Arch Manning number one, Malachi Nelson number two, the USC commit, uh, and then Nico Iamalieva, who, to be frank, he could end up number one. Like Arch Manning is number one. There's no real reason for us to not think Arch Manning is number one right now. Every time we see him throw in person, he really wows. He obviously knows where to go with the ball. He's much more athletic, I think, than his, uh, his uncles were. And he, he, he can dunk. You know, he, he's, he's got some juice to him. Who are his uncles? Uh, never heard of. Yeah. Him. <laughs> 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 uh, but like, this is a nice quarterback class for us. Um, I mean, we're, to, to be confident enough to put those three guys, one, two, three, is not something we often do. Uh, and that's over a corner like Cormani McLean, who is, you know, a, a no doubt uh, stud right now. And then Dante Moore. Out of Detroit is actually number eight. So we have four quarterbacks right now in our top ten. So uh, more good quarterbacks on the way uh, to college football.
3: Arch, ten million nil is that the?
4: I mean, it's gotta be right.
3: Seems low for four years or for one year. I was thinking one year, like that's for one year. Yeah, that's probably the Will probably be especially like you consider like there's the commercial out now with Peyton, Eli, and Archie. Like, if you package him with those as part
4: of the family, forget it. Like, he's, yeah. it's going to be off the charts. His, especially if the head. Manning family does launch this network that's been rumored in media circles.
3: Ooh, I didn't know what, what, what are you talking? Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah like I heard a rumor like, today. An we over the top. That's a real thing. An, an over top top can we, can yeah, yeah, and the top streaming Manning
2: service. Yeah. What are we talking <laughs> about here? I, uh, yeah.
0: Bud just, let, let let some rumors fly here live on the Cover 3 podcast. <laughs> um, we, hey, by the way, speaking of NIL, a very good question from the mailbag we're going to hit in just a little bit. Now, looking at what the future might look like in the NIL era for some of these programs that might not be able to afford $10 million in one year uh, for an Arch Manning. We'll get to that in a little bit. want to start with some March Madness. This question coming from Topher. Love you guys and the discussion on NIL. I know it's a college football pod and not college basketball, but the but Bud's thoughts, but the thoughts Bud shared made me think we're on the verge of losing the NCAA basketball tournament as we know it. As top conferences and schools are going to be able to pay their players, I don't see it happening at a place like Hofstra or Ohio. Do you foresee power conferences creating their own basketball tournament and leaving the small schools behind would be a very sad day for American sports.
4: Hmm.
3: Well, I
0: don't. I, I don't foresee it because the um, you we already have the different sports operating in different ways and even programs playing in different conferences based on what sport it is. Um, and we saw that with the Big East. You know, we've seen that with um, uh, hockey. You know, like there are sports where you can operate in different conferences and different jurisdictions, and so when if we were to spin, for example, great conversation with Dennis Dodd earlier this week, if we were to spin it off where the college football playoff as an entity breaks away from the NCAA, it sets its own rules, it sets its own oversight, it handles uh, all of the liability that we discussed. It also gets to declare the national champion. All of all that stuff is sort of under the the CFP umbrella. I think that the schools, even if we were in a world where players are being paid in the college football playoff division, uh, I still think that those schools would be able to field the rest of its sports um, in a way that operate within the NCAA. And I think that the tournament itself still holds a high value, certainly financially, but even to the ideals of college athletics where they would find a way to make it happen. I'm going to say the other way,
3: because... In the Alston versus the NCAA, it wasn't just football players. It was basketball and women's basketball. I think those were the three, right? Was there another one I'm missing? Men's I think it basketball, was, women's basketball, football? Yeah, I think that was it. I think those were the sports that were you know, brought up, which was for – employment and like those
0: are the three for the labor relations lawsuit in California with UCLA and USC they have right. targeted those three and grouped them together when like revenue revenue generating sports basketball and football seems to be the the one the two that they have targeted so i worry about
3: what does that mean where maybe it does look different and the college football playoff runs the college football playoff the nca actually runs the nca you know tournament so it is different I wonder if there would be a split off of something, or that we get something that looks completely different in basketball, too.
4: What I think we're going to have happen, and this is not an original thought, this is something Matt Brown basically hinted at when we had him on for the little one on one interview. Matt Brown of Extra Points, talking about the transformation committee, is that right? I think that the power leagues will probably pressure the NCAA to reduce the number of automatic bids. For instance, right now, all 32 conferences get automatic bids. It's probably realistic in the future just to, to think that, hey, the top 24 conference champions will receive automatic bids and everybody else will be, you know, playing for at largest. I think that there is a decent chance, and this, oh, okay, Matt thinks there's a decent chance that the power leagues will exert their leverage to force things like that so they don't have to keep splitting the pool with all these really small teams, which kind of sucks. But also, like, we we really enjoy all the upsets, and I love watching it on CBS. uh, But a lot of those teams do get crushed. And, you know, this is – it's – if you want another reminder that college sports is a business that we all happen to love and root for, uh, you know, we don't have to love the business aspects of it. But that's where he thinks it's going. He doesn't actually think they're going to break away, but he thinks they will use their leverage to probably get more – they call it units, right? Mm-hmm. For every team that makes the tournament, you, you get a unit, and your units determine your share of the NCAA's revenue pool.
0: Yeah, it's that which 21 he thinks is driving
4: conference expansion. By the or, or uh, excuse me, uh, conference consolidation and and conference expansion. Like he thinks that that's what's going to drive some of that at the lower levels.
0: Like the Atlantic Sun, um, you know, some of these other conferences, they are beefing up in a way where they're they're trying to prepare themselves for a 24 bid world instead of the current um, auto bid world as it sits which like would do damage to some of those conferences that do end up putting their champions in the 16 line and the 15 line and the 14 yeah. line like you're Eight 100% leagues would be left right. out right yeah
4: mm-hmm.
0: so you guys think
4: the NCAA,
3: so you guys think the nca tournament stays march madness big event it just looks different from the teams that are in it and they'll be maybe not even represent- that
0: much you know, right. we'll just see more 21 and 12 Big Ten teams than the uh, the teams that are coming in there as conference champions from some of the lower leagues.
4: Boo. <laughs> yeah, boo, boo indeed.
0: Indiana. I mean- what great news for Indiana basketball after missing the tournament so many times.
3: <laughs> but it does suck when you get an upset in the conference championship game and like the regular season team was incredible. Maybe, you know, a really solid record, even in the top 25, but then they get beat Cause some team gets hot from three and then that team gets to advance the tournament. But now uh, you, you guys are right. We'll see that. Well,
2: that's what we want for football.
0: <laughs> <laughs> more three and four, like, like arguing for more three and four loss teams to be in the college football playoff, arguing for more 12 loss power conference teams in the NCAA tournament. It, it is to Bud's point, all about these programs and conferences that are arguing we are the reason for the television ratings. And if we are the reason for the television ratings, then we want to have more representation when it's time to decide a national championship on the biggest stage.
2: The only change I would make to the NCAA tournament, which is not the question we were asked, and it is not my idea. Many people have brought it up is for the play in games right now with the aqs even from those tiny ass little conferences who only get one school in if you win your conference you should not have to play a play-in game all the play-in games on that tuesday and wednesday should be of teams on the bubble
0: because right now two of the games essentially are play-in games the two 16s and then uh the the 11s are always at large teams that were not conference champions
2: Mm -hmm. that's the change i would make
0: i mean that would I'd, I'd be cool with that. It'd be, it would lead to much better
2: games and more entertain, like better ratings. Because honestly, like when you think of those games on that, those first two nights,
0: well, it's like the me always there. The me like the really... is always playing on Tuesday and you don't even know if you're going to get a chance to go and get a crack at Kansas or yeah. Baylor, like whoever's going to be in the one seat. Yeah.
2: And how many people are really tuning in to see a 16 and a 16 go at it for the right to lose to Kansas in the first round? Not many, but if you're turning in for a couple of power conference to teams who, you know, might make a run, Or at least just, you know, that would, I feel like, be better ratings. But, you know, whatever. Mm
0: UCLA, Michigan State, like those those sorts of games.
2: Yeah. yeah, and Indiana fans could watch so they could see what an NCAA tournament game looks like.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, just flames for Indiana Hoosiers basketball fans right now. By the way, uh, you're probably not going to be able to pick Indiana to win a championship in the bracket, but you can pick a champion in a bracket because we have a bracket game ongoing. If you go to cbssports.com slash cover three brackets, again, that is cbssports.com slash cover three Brackets. We are going to be doing a Bracket Challenge. Uh, might have some some prizes for our big time winners and uh, and we will look forward to compete against you uh, in that. Again, that is cbsports.com slash Cover 3 Brackets. Go and join our Cover 3 Bracket Challenge. Alright. Next question comes from Fluky mcdookie <laughs> 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 Can't make that up. Uh, love the pod. It keeps me alive during this tough time without football. Mailbag question. As a Boise fan, we are in a weird situation with the group of five as many top teams have left their conferences. What would be the ideal scenario for the Broncos? We stay in the Mountain West or move up to a power five conference because the possibility of that being the highest ranked group of five team, you know, that might be higher than getting an, get that automatic bid. Than if you were to make the playoff from a Power Five conference, especially if expansion were to happen anytime soon. So, Boise State, Boise State fans, would you rather stay in the Mountain West, supposedly be the big dog, and have a chance to win the conference and maybe an easier path to the college football playoff in an automatic bid for the highest ranked group of five scenario? Especially as Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, all these teams are now joining Power Five conferences, or Do you think that joining a Power Five conference would be a better move for Boise State, big picture?
2: I would rather stay in the Mountain West. I mean, like if Boise State joins a Power Five conference, does it suddenly become a national title contender?
0: I I look at the... I love you, Coco. I look at the West Virginia example, and it's something that I think Bud brings up a lot. When you know, Bud, I feel like your line is "Go ask West Virginia." And when you are just take the like, check, take the
4: losses. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like when you're like that far geographically, when you are not playing the same game in terms of the arms race against the rest of your conference opponents. I mean, West West Virginia, from a uh, athletic department facilities and everything else perspective, paired against Texas. I know Texas is off to the SEC, but the point remains: there's just a massive gap. And I think that for Boise State, let's say it, it, it was to join the Big 12, you would find yourself being another geographic and, and potentially uh, investment outlier in the conference. And so I think, I think I would rather be the big dog in the Mountain West and take my shot that uh, our season is going to be better than the winner of the Sun Belt or the winner of the American uh, MAC or Conference USA.
4: What, what I can't know here is the, the financial future of Boise, right? Like for a, clear, for a path to the playoff or a path to some of these access games, uh, it probably makes more sense to stay in the Mountain West. If Boise joined the Big 12 or you know, the, the pack, which is not going to happen academically, like the Pac-12 is not going not to allow that, uh, and the Big 12 I don't think is going to expand to add Boise anytime soon, uh, they would probably be on a much better stance financially, but they would almost certainly not finish first very often resource wise etc so if they can afford to stay in the mountain west and stay viable uh, then i think it makes more sense to stay in the mountain west but if the money gets so big that some of these you know smaller schools get swallowed up um, or not swallowed up but just kind of you know overwhelmed by how much it takes to compete against power five schools then obviously you need to try to throw a Hail Mary and, and get into a conference. But I believe Boise is done. And I don't think other, other I don't think conferences want Boise, you know, like that's not an easy travel. They're not really great in other sports. Oftentimes it's kind of a football thing. Um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting question. I, I'd, I'd be curious that, to know what Boise thinks about its finances long-term. And also if we do end up going to some sort of FBS plus, right? Not strictly Power Five leagues breaking off, but maybe Power Five plus fifteen others. I assume Boise gets in that, right? Mm. Like we need teams to take losses. There's a reason the SEC needs Vanderbilt and South Carolina and Mississippi State, right? Like they, you need some teams to lose ball games in your leagues, and you need some teams to lose ball games in your division. So I think they would have a real shot to go if we had some kind of breaking off of the Power Five plus, you know, however many others.
2: Awesome, I just, man. I the just playoff imagined. ain't the end
4: be all.
3: I just imagined every Mississippi State and South Carolina fan irritated that you just put them in the same group as Vanderbilt. But they take L's. They don't win. Yeah, yeah they, no, I've lost to them. Won with anything?
4: I fact. You weren't born. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't born.
3: No, uh, I was going to take. Born, they never won anything. I mean, you a hundred years old. You still have one damn thing. <laughs> I was going to take the other side and say, absolutely, you want to get to a Power Five conference as quickly as possible. But you guys bring up some really good points. Primarily, other sports, but wouldn't that elevate your other sports? like the f- it's all about resources and talent, right? that's and I think you have challenges of both now, yes, you're you have a unique situation, Blue turf, you have a brand. but I think the the shifts of college football are going to leave you behind, and that is why UCF and some of these other programs are trying to get to the power five, Cincinnati. But there are some significant hurdles because – and, you know, you go to Utah, who's had a really great transition. TCU's had a solid transition. Uh, But they're in, like, attractive cities that are easy to travel to, that geographically make a lot of sense. So – I don't know. I, I, I think this is a tricky one. I do think, Tom, like I don't like and I was going to ask the question, do you want to just get to the playoff or do you want to try to win it? And if you want to try to win it, then you have to start thinking out 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to win anytime soon, but you need to start competing recruiting wise, facility wise with those schools in the power five. And you're just simply not going to do that if you're left behind.
4: But you know, I do want to point out, uh, so I don't get totally flamed. Boise basketball this year is actually pretty two. Damn
0: good. Yeah, I was going to say that said, yeah,
4: they've already won the. Mountain I North. meant like across the board, and who
0: knows? Sure, me, I will have a Boise basketball fan.
2: Yes, since it's a Boise question, here's a good analogy for you. Because I've, have we've been uh, binging Yellowstone. We're still in season three, so if you're ahead, no spoilers. But like, you know, everyone
0: has daddy issues.
2: The Yellowstone Ranch. It's huge. It's the big dog. A lot of people trying to come take it. A lot of other ranchers there maybe have a smaller ranch, just living a nice, good life where they're not having people get killed and kidnapped all the time. Just saying, maybe you're fine in the Mountain West. Maybe you don't need the Yellowstone Ranch.
0: It is also, um, it has come to mind that Boise, to your point, Tom, I think about the head coaches that we, like Chris Peterson, is someone who is very, very committed to Player development, culture building—you know the the things that are not recruiting, arms race, NIL booster collective. Brian Harson, player development, culture building—the things that are not you know uh, arms race, NIL booster collective type stuff. I think that there might be something to be said about Boise State as a as a football program culturally being a better fit in the mountain west and being the top dog and having better access to get into the playoff than trying to to step into that game where you're going to be competing against um, these these universities that are trying very very quickly to generate a lot of money to be able to go and get NIL deals for the top talent where again Chris Peterson Brian Harson we don't we don't exactly look at either one of those coaches as the like ace top of the line recruiting first coaches and I think in the power conference world you have to have a real commitment to recruiting if you want to be able to to succeed
2: i'll also say as somebody who's a fan of a program that is in a power 5 conference and is not annually competing for anything special like being being the big fish in a small pond is pretty sweet gig to have
0: wait you saying illinois is not
2: i'm just saying illinois is not like a powerful program i know this is a shock to you 3 <laughs> but I'm just telling you, it's like, you know, it's like the Illinois is not one in the Big Ten. It's like you can be in a Power Five conference and OK, cool. If your goal is to maybe go seven and five once in a while and that you'll be happy with that. OK, cool. But I'd rather be going, you know, 11 and one and winning my conference and feeling good about my team every year. Assuming that you can you can stay viable financially. I totally agree. Mm
0: hmm. With the 50th anniversary of Title IX and Women's History Month during March, the Attacking Third podcast will release a five-episode series focusing on trailblazers in women's sports. Each episode will feature prominent guests with distinct themes and backgrounds, highlighting their groundbreaking paths to be recognized as some of the most important women in sports history. This series will expand outside the world of women's soccer to focus on athletes and icons across all of sports. Once again, this is the Attacking Third podcast on the CBS Sports Network, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX and Women's History Month. During this March, you can find the Attacking Third podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on the other side, an Oklahoma fan had to say goodbye to Caleb Williams, but should they be as equally excited about the arrival of Dylan Gabriel? Getting into that and thoughts on the Georgia Bulldogs in 2022 and more
1: next. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Robert Half research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative legal and administrative and customer support at robert half we know talent visit roberthalf.com today this question comes from nate hey fellas
0: my sister is a diehard sooners fan and i am a diehard huskers fan she had a crush on sam bradford going up so that's the story okay uh, we were talking about <laughs> Caleb Williams versus Dylan Gabriel. Am I crazy to think that the Sooners are better off with Gabriel over Williams? Gabriel has bigger sample size, more consistent success across sample sizes, and did not get benched for Spencer Rattler. Parentheses, people seem to forget about that, dot, dot, dot. I'm not one of those dudes who who thinks OU is better off without Lincoln Riley because I'm not crazy. But Williams seems way overrated. He almost lost to Kansas, which I suppose is better than losing to Kansas. Looking at you, Texas. Hashtag sad Husker fan nano.
4: This is an incredible email or or (laughs) review. I mean, he he gets to take shots at at the quarterback who transferred out. He gets to take shots at Texas. He He gets to praise the incoming quarterback. Um, and
0: talk about his sister's crushes
4: yeah like this is th- well done that that is a great email and we, we love oklahoma fans on this podcast for sure uh <laughs> they don't all the right. us. no uh uh-uh. and i i didn't know teddy Lehman was so uh, <laughs> did you guys yes yep okay all right um really really good linebacker for oklahoma now now he does radio um anyway so he won the buttress or mm-hmm. the um, yeah I think Dylan Gabriel is probably pretty talented. I've seen him here a couple times. Danny's seen him throw in person. Danny had to jump. Uh, But arm talent-wise, I think he's pretty solid. I will say it is difficult to determine how good these quarterbacks are in this Baylor-style offense because Mm -hmm. everybody who plays in this puts up great numbers. It's basically a cheat code in college football because you're taking advantage of the hash marks. Right, it just it creates explosive plays. Tennessee is running it. You know, UCF ran it obviously with Levy, uh, and now Levy is you know um, is 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 there. So at at Oklahoma, uh, that's why Gabriel went there. I think you'll put up really big numbers there. Would I rather have Caleb Williams? Yes, I think Caleb Williams is more talented. I think he would put up bigger numbers in that system than Gabriel would. But I think Oklahoma fans should be very excited to have. Gabriel and Oklahoma will put up big time numbers because everybody who runs that offense in college football puts up huge numbers. Now we'll ignore what happens to those guys when they get to the NFL, because basically everybody in that offense that goes to the NFL uh, has totally busted. But we said the same thing about the air raid until it didn't right until Patrick Mahomes busted out. So I'm sure somebody will be the first NFL good quarterback to come from that Baylor style offense that Oklahoma is now running. Uh, And I think
2: Gabriel will do well there. Yeah, I I did some breaking down of this to to prepare for the question. Uh, I'm with you. I'd rather have Caleb Williams than Dylan Gabriel, just from a talent perspective and from the fact that I'll get Caleb Williams for two more seasons. You're going to get Gabriel for one year. But I do think Dylan Gabriel is a good quarterback, and I do think Dylan Gabriel has got a lot to like. It's just if you look, yes, the sample size for Gabriel is much larger. He's played in over twice as many games. He's thrown four times as many passes. But – Caleb Williams has a higher completion rate. He has a higher yards per attempt. He has a higher touchdown to interception ratio. He has a higher passing efficiency. He gets sacked more often than Dylan Gabriel does, but that also goes along the lines of Caleb Williams being young and also being a lot more reliant on his legs. He's more willing to run, and that's another thing, too. If you look at the numbers last year, Caleb Williams had six rushes of at least 40 yards last season. In his entire career, Dylan Gabriel has had five rushes of 20 yards or more and has never had a 30-yard rush. So there's just that kind of element that Caleb Williams brings to your offense where if things break down, he can leave the pocket, take off, and run for a 50-yard touchdown. You don't see Dylan Gabriel doing that. And then also, if you just look at their throwing, Gabriel is accurate down the field to the left of the hash marks. He's lefty, so that makes sense. When he's throwing that way, he's accurate Past 20 yards. But there's really kind of a very large dead zone in his arm where from behind the line of scrimmage to 10 air yards, very accurate. Those short throws, he's very good with the ball. But once you get past that, his accuracy gets really spotty over the middle and it gets really spotty to the right, except for a couple areas downfield to his left. Caleb Williams has shown much better signs for that and against much smaller sample size, but we've seen more accuracy with him on his deep ball to all parts of the field. So I would rather have Caleb Williams. I think your offense is a lot more dynamic with Caleb Williams than it is with Dylan Gabriel, but you can win with Dylan Gabriel. And I will say, like, I've heard the Caleb Williams almost lost to Kansas from a lot of Oklahoma fans. A lot of the players who were on that team on that field that day, almost losing to Kansas, are still on your team. It wasn't just Caleb Williams, Kansas was scoring points too. Caleb Williams is not way overrated. He might be a pretty talented. Yeah, he's, he, not, he's not a complete yeah. product yet. He was a freshman.
0: You might be sick of Caleb Williams, the name, Caleb Williams, the star, Caleb Williams, the like figure that's on Good Morning America and will probably be like one of the more like highly publicized figures around college football heading into the season next year. But Caleb Williams, when he is on the field on Saturdays, is not way overrated. He absolutely lives up to uh, what his long-term projections are, where we can see okay, this is step one, where we imagine that three years from the end of his high school that he is going to be a first round or in the caliber of a first round NFL draft pick. I believe that he's not underrated. I believe he's rightly rated. I do will say to Oklahoma fans, and this is like very, very small margins, but um, the season where Dylan Gabriel had his best passer rating and his best yards per attempt were his freshman season when his offensive coordinator was Jeff Levy. And so if Mm -hmm. you are linking right back up with someone, he was the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. Like this is uh, another situation where, um, you ha- you are at least trusting that this transfer quarterback is not showing up and starting from scratch. This transfer quarterback is showing up and taking to coaching that has already worked well and re-entering a relationship that has already been productive. So, in addition to Dylan G- Gabriel, the prospect Dylan Gabriel, what has he shown? What can he do? I think from a team perspective, you just you gotta love the the fact that he's linking back up with Levy.
2: Yeah, and I also think I mean with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, Oklahoma has one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Twelve. I don't know if I don't. I'd rather have Caleb Williams, but you still you are still in a very good position. But one thing to be concerned about though is he did break his you know collarbone last year, his clavicle, and I don't think that's going to impact him coming back. But we have seen when guys break that, it's a lot easier to break it a second time. I am going to read
4: you guys Baylor's all time single season passing leaders. Oh God. They're all the Browles offense. This is a cheat code in college football. Dylan Gabriel, I think, will kill it there. It almost doesn't matter who plays quarterback for you, right, like to win a lot of games. Now, if you want to win in like a playoff game, obviously, I think you probably need a dude. But Robert Griffin, Nick Florence, Bryce Petty, Bryce Petty again, Seth Russell, Blake Seismansky, who I don't remember, uh, Robert Griffin again, Seth Russell, Sean Bell, who actually was before Browles, and then Charlie Brewer. Guys, this offense puts up ridiculous numbers. The the only real qu- questions I have about Gabriel, in addition to what Tom stated, um, I, I have two more if I can add. Number one, how willing to run is he? Because remember, he got popped against Louisville and ended his season. So, is how willing to scramble will be will he be? Uh, is he willing to go on design runs? We'll we'll see. Uh, the other thing I would point out here is that his QBR against man was 98 his qbr against zone was 42 mm-hmm. so it's more than double and that the, the, the adjusted net yards per attempt also tracks right 15.2 uh, against man and 6.8 against zone now that's a small sample size because he got hurt early in the year so i don't know how much how many conclusions we can really draw from this and i don't have uh the numbers from previous years for those stats unfortunately I was only on 120 dropbacks. To me, that's probably too small of a sample. I'm going to put that more in the intriguing things that I'm going to watch bucket, uh, but there's a whole lot of teams that play a lot of zone in the Big 12, and they play a lot of red zone roulette, and they've seen this Baylor-type offense before, obviously. like They're the, the original league that got torched by it. I'll be interested to see how uh, how Levy and those guys do adjusting if Team start doing what Baylor did to that old miss type offense in the Sugar Bowl.
0: Is I was trying to run through the competition, Tom, because I liked your I liked the statement. And I, I hadn't actually stacked all the Big 12 quarterbacks against each other. But are, are we are we talking about an unproven Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card? Who who else would be in that conversation for best quarterback in the Big 12? Because the fact that I couldn't come up with a yeah, I, the fact that I couldn't come up with a long list of potential, yeah. you know, competitors what, for that for QB1 in the conference and Dylan Gabriel is a pretty as strong a nomination as I think you're going to get. It's uh Yeah,
2: there's a there's a lot of QB turnover. But again, I want to just make go back to my one point about that Kansas game. Here are Kansas's scoring drives in that game. You ready? <laughs> This is all Caleb Williams' fault. 14 plays, 80 yards. 12 plays, 69 yards. Kansas also missed a field goal after an 11-play, 50-yard drive. Uh, They had a 10-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. They had another five-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. Yeah, that was all Caleb Williams' fault. What an ass!
4: Are you guys (laughs) skeptical of how much the like how improved these Big 12 defenses were last year? Because I'm kind of looking at this in hindsight and saying uh, there were some
2: shaky quarterback play it could be also interesting the way that we don't it's like the pandemic and the way that the practice habits had to change for teams you don't know quite how well those impacted offenses and i feel like 2022 we could get a much maybe a, when things are normalized again we'll get a much clearer picture of whether those defenses improved or not
0: i don't That's think fair. oklahoma State's success was um faults or inflated I no. think Oklahoma State had was very very good. They at,
2: played solid and fundamental defense. Yeah,
0: and they did a good job of get rushing the passer, creating pressure, um, and and having a back end of the defense that built off that. I don't think that, uh, and I don't have their numbers pulled up, but like I don't think Kansas State's defensive success however much there is or isn't I don't think that that would be fraudulent just because that feels like it's such a key part of what they do and then the big 12 champion Baylor Bears again we go back to that, that might be the one to look because we kept talking about how Baylor's defense always seems to um, be making the right moves how their heights weights and prospect rankings don't always pop out at you but we really enjoyed watching Baylor play defense maybe that leg up that they had on the offenses might be a place where we see some regression but i for right now i will attribute that to dave aranda
4: the quarterbacks who threw more than 100 passes in big 12 conference play last year spencer sanders jared daigie who's now gone uh brock purdy gone casey thompson skyler thompson gone jerry bohannon uh caleb williams gone max duggan henry columbie think gone uh jalen daniels of kansas donovan smith who i think has a shot to be the best quarterback in the big 12. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be, but tools wise, if you go back and watch, he had some really nice games. He also had yeah. some kind of shaky games, but like he he can make some big time throws. And that Zach Kitley offense that the remember Texas tech,
0: Texas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, let's get yeah. some context for the listeners. Cause you said Don, Donovan, Smith. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know. I, I know that we've it's got a deep like, cut. Yeah, I know we've got some hardcore college football fans, especially listening here in March, but that is Texas Tech quarterback Donovan Smith. Right. And if you look so, at and if you look
2: at his kid. best games, they were against Iowa State. They were against Baylor. He played well against Mississippi State in the bowl game. So no, there's upside there. He's got some tools. Zach Kitley was the
4: Houston Baptist OC, who then went to Western Kentucky, and Western Kentucky went to the uh CUSA Conference Championship game. Uh Basically on the back of that offense last year, they're gonna. I think he'll throw for a million yards there. Like that's that's a nice combo. Sorry about the vacuum in the background. It's okay. (laughs) Got to clean those house. Yeah,
0: got to clean the house. Come on. All right. uh, This next question. Here we go. I found your podcast last summer and haven't missed one since. Greatly appreciate your insight and knowledge as well as tackling quote what if questions. My question is: Take a school like Iowa State. Although they have rabid fans selling out football and basketball even through the darkest days, they don't have large boosters and the larger boosters they do have aren't interested in working NIL deals fans of schools like this might want to find some sort of equal playing field with NIL and the future landscape of football changing schools like Iowa state, Kansas state, Purdue and more won't have a fighting chance to stay competitive. I have to think that there are many more schools like Iowa state than Texas A&M. What does the future look like for those schools? And I will just very quickly say, I cannot say that Iowa state does not have boosters who are unwilling to strike NIL deals. That might be true, but that does feel like a little bit of a blanket assumption to me. But I've, the, the essence of the question I still thought was a very interesting one because, like we mentioned earlier in the show, it's a very different playing field in terms of uh, how, how much money you're going to be able to rally together for NIL efforts for your players.
2: Farm money spends just as well as corporate money.
0: Do you, think, but is there, uh, do you get the sense... That the notion that some of these other programs aren't, are, are either not going to be able to pull the money together or unwilling to do so. Do you get the notion that that's a, that there's any credence to that?
2: I'm sure, yeah. I, I've said from the start, the thing with NIL is it's not going to even the playing field. It's just going to make the rich get richer because the programs that have more people who are more quote unquote fervent about their football program and their program succeeding are going to be willing to do things that, others aren't and whether that's Iowa State or any other program I don't think it's as much about who has the money as it is the culture and the concern about it like if you have a booster it doesn't matter like you could have the richest man in the world be an alumni of your school but if he doesn't give a damn about your football program it's really not going to do much of anything for you so uh, two things Chip can you read the question one more time
0: sure um Take a school like Iowa State. Although they have rabid fans selling out football and basketball, even through the darkest days, they don't have large boosters. And the larger boosters they do have aren't interested in working NIL deals. Fans of schools like this might want to find some sort of equal playing field. Uh, With NIL and the future landscape of football changing, schools like Iowa State, Kansas State, Purdue, and more won't have a fighting chance to stay competitive. I have to think there are more schools like Iowa State than Texas A&M.
4: Okay, so I totally reject the premise of the question, uh, the whole idea of staying competitive for conference titles. Right? Uh, in my lifetime, Purdue has won one conference title. That was in 2000. Uh, Kansas State has won two. That was in 2003, 2012. Iowa State uh, has last won, won 1912. So over 100 years ago. For the most part, I just totally agree with Tom. The same schools that are already good are going to stay good. Football, like college football, is not an even playing field. We don't watch most of these teams because they have a real shot to, you know, win a conference title or win a win a you know national title. Now we lie to ourselves a little bit and say that they do, and fans will continue to lie to themselves and tell and tell themselves that they do when, for the most part, they don't. The bottom line here is that there will be a few teams, I think, and we've talked about this as an episode, I think, a couple weeks ago, who might have a chance to really have a glow up with NIL. I'm looking at you, Michigan. Schools that are traditionally kind of above the, the level of paying players that some other traditionally successful schools do, but now that it's legal and getting more legal, might be willing to jump into that fold. Maybe Notre Dame here would also classify, right? Notre Dame's a little different because the whole academic thing and who you can get into school, but every school can still only take twenty five players a year. Texas A and M cannot go spend fifteen million dollars and sign fifty guys, right? The trickle down effect is still going to be the same, right? And, you know, you as a number one player at Iowa State or Purdue or Kansas State might make more money than being the 23rd player on, I don't know, uh, Texas' roster. So I would just say, don't worry about this. Like, it's not going to affect what you see on the field for the most part. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but like, those schools are not schools that compete for anything right
0: now anyway. I mean, <laughs> I th- like, it depends on your expectations, right? It's like, what's, do you think that, um, do you think that you have to engage your fan base in a way that is not already being engaged? Like, do you think there's not some, I, I know for a fact, I know some of the human beings involved with it, that Purdue is asking for a lot of money from its biggest donors to be able to fund the needs and to fund the efforts that are going to allow Purdue to be able to be successful, not just in football, but in basketball as well. And that there are boosters that are excited and willing to give some of the money. I think that there's a there is just not a a, div- a strong dividing line in the sand between the teams that Uh, do care and are are between the Texas A&Ms and and between everyone else, because Texas A&M has always cared and it's always had a bunch of money. It's always had that oil money and Texas A&M. Hey, you just listed off the conference championships, Texas A&M's last conference division title, I think was 2010. Mm -hmm. Doesn't even have a conference championship in decades. So it, just because you've got the, the big coffers and the big boosters and the millions of dollars, that does not necessarily... I mean, it works the other way, too. That does not necessarily mean you're going to be able to go out and buy yourself a championship. All right. Let's see. We got one more. Speaking of the big dogs and NIL, let's talk about Georgia. All right. Uh, question. Would like to get your thoughts on Georgia this upcoming season and their chances of getting back to the title game. They've had a few changes to the staff while returning most of the offense parentheses, as well as adding Eric Gilbert. And I, I didn't even talked about that, but he did. Uh, he is, he's around uh, and also returning half the defense, no incoming transfers as of now, which could change course after the spring. Most of the hype is around Alabama and Ohio state this off season, which I certainly believe is warranted. However, I anticipate Georgia will be right there with them in contention come playoff time as they have a very favorable regular season schedule.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to repeat as national champs, but I do think that they're going to be the best team in the SEC East. They're going to get Atlanta to Atlanta. And then if you get to Atlanta and you beat Alabama again, who's you're probably going to end up playing, maybe you end up facing a LSU, Auburn, somebody we don't expect. But if you've got a good chance to get to Atlanta and you're in the SEC, then yes, you are a playoff contender. But I do think that there is a lot of change going on. And I do think that, well, I don't hate him as much as bud does i do think that if stetson bennett doesn't improve or there isn't an improvement at the quarterback position it will be difficult to do it two years in a row so i I think this is a team that could end up it's it's not going to go undefeated it is not going to be as dominant as it was last year but it's still going to be one of the five best teams in the country probably
4: i completely agree with tom um my thoughts on stetson bennett are well known um you know but i The one thing I'll note here is I I just got done watching uh, the Nike Coach of the Year clinics, uh, and I I watched the the one from Georgia. And Kirby Smart talked about how they had to do things differently this year because their defensive backs basically were not as skilled as they've been in the past. They were also not very good blitzers, and they had some really special pass rushers uh, in the front seven, not only from the defensive line, but also from the linebacker. And he was talking about different concepts they run and different schemes. And I'm not going to get into all that here because we don't really have video to show it. Maybe maybe some of the offseason we'll try to play with little video elements here because I thought it was neat to show you know how even a team as loaded as Georgia had to overcome some internal obstacles and, and, and really feature their best players. But one thing Kirby Smart had to stop and say when he's presenting to these high school coaches on probably every third clip was now look, this actually worked because this guy is a total freak and we've never had a guy like this. And he's talking about you know N'Kobe N- Dean or, or like a Quay Walker or you know Jordan Davis. It's like now look, we, we did this slant, we 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 did this loop. Now, ultimately, like, you know, it worked because 99 Jordan Davis just took this guy and threw him in the air, Uh, but you could see the design that we had that we had intended to use here, right? And and I bring all this up to say, look, like Georgia had a tremendously coached defense, a very talented defense. They also had like a historically uh, pretty special front seven guys who just they're beyond freaky athletically and. You know Jordan Davis went when when he was in shape. Devonte Wyatt, who was a you know an excellent wrestler in high school and a good running back, to was oh, Nolan's Smith back. You know I mean just like yeah, even, even he was Tra- you know Walker, like Trayvon Walker yeah. on any other team is a total freak, and mm-hmm. you know he was sort of I mean, he led them in defensive line snaps. But uh, Nickobe Dean, so smart, right? Quick you know Quay Walker, or Channing Tindell, you know got got a lot of snaps for these dudes. Uh it. I think they will probably take somewhat of a step back on defense, Uh, not a huge one because they recruit really, really well. But even if you recruit well, there are some defenses in some years where it's like, okay, this was just this was different, right? Um, You know, I think back to like the the other defenses that match up to them as far as points allowed. If you look at like like an adjusted thing, Um, I know Connolly has uh, like the one Alabama team and then like the 2013 FSU team, which had Jalen Ramsey couldn't get on the field as a corner, you know, so they had, they had to play him as a free safety, right? Like those type of loaded squads, we'll see how they, how they play. I think they'll probably have to get better play from the secondary because it, it's almost impossible to avoid a little bit of a front seven drop-off. And that really was a special unit
2: in the history of the sport.
0: Um, go, ahead. go ahead.
2: Sticking on the Georgia theme and, and the players, um, going and also kicking on where we started the show, I had a debate with a friend about this. I was wondering what you guys would think. Just taking into consideration talent – Position, you know, value of position, all that kind of stuff. Would you rather use a first round pick on Jordan Davis or a second round pick on Devontae Wyatt? Wyatt, Chip,
0: second on Wyatt.
2: Same. This other person is a very big Jordan Davis fan. It's like I
0: get it, but I'm not. Doing I am the first too. First round pick on Jordan Davis. It's it's a passing league. Mm-hmm. Timmy Jernigan was pretty successful at the NFL, right? Yeah. But not like yeah, me.
2: Mean, he, he stuck around. But like you know? see for me, like my philosophy at this point is if I'm getting a defensive tackle in the first round, he needs to be a disruptor. He needs to get to the quarterback on his own. I don't want a guy who gets a sack when the edge rushers force the quarterback up into the pocket into his arms. I want a guy who's blowing up the play. And to me, Jordan Davis is not blowing up the play as often as you'd want. So Kirby talked about
4: this too in in, in his, his Nike presentation. He said, Look, like we used to play what we would call base. Right. And it's a more fundamentally sound thing for us. And it's taking on blocks and not as much about penetration. But he said, hey, this is a passing game. Now we need we we, we need to be thinking about how do we pass rush from every defensive call we make? And it used to not be that way. And now we have to think pass rush first, run fit second, which I thought was pretty interesting. And and a very recent change from when you follow Mm -hmm. what they did at Alabama. Um, that 2011 defense was not thinking pass rush first, run fit second. He said. The other thing is for us, it's it's uh, it's much easier to recruit defensive linemen if you get to truthfully tell them you'll be disruptors and not just a guy who's going to eat up blocks. So is that like uh, more
0: stunts, I, twists, and like uh, more and getting up field, right? Yeah, like yeah,
4: like you're you're you're, be you're more not aggressive. Don't you're not playing head hole. up on a guy. Yeah. You know you're 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 taking a half man and, and trying to
2: penetrate. Yeah, it's like it's it's there's just it's, it's do you want to is my job to just stand here and suck up space and if they run into me they run into me or am I allowed to just go out and not really worry about you know am I allowed to go get the quarterback it's more fun to go get the quarterback
0: um yeah but the reason I mentioned Timmy Jernigan is because that comes to mind with the 13 defense where I just thought that like what he was able to do to crush yeah. the interior offensive lines especially of a lot of ACC schools it was just absolutely unreal I
4: mean the the length of the guys on that defense who are still in the NFL is crazy. I mean, Darby I think is still in the league, right? Ronald Darby, uh, I think so, yeah. P.J. Williams is definitely still with the yes. Saints as a corner. Terrence Brooks I think is still with the Ravens or the Eagles. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's obviously still in the league. Lamarcus Joyner was their nickel. Uh, you know that worked out pretty well. Telvin Smith is not in the league. I don't think right now he's had some personal problems. Um, Eddie Goldman. Is still yep, on the Bears. The Bears. Yep. I don't know if you he'll know. be next year, but he's still there now. I mean, we're talking nine years later, and uh, and I think Mario, I think Edwards Junior. still uh, is still in.
0: So the the chat, um, the, the chat mentioned something. We can do a quick exercise before we get out of here. Uh, Down South Soldier says Georgia loses one game. Fanatic says possible, but on a game by game basis, it's hard to find that one game. So I have Georgia's schedule for 2022 pulled up and as i speak very slowly in case you all want to as well what's the game if georgia is to lose one regular season game in 2022 what game do you think it would be and for those listening at home who don't have it pulled up i'll run through it quickly they open with oregon then they play samford at south carolina kent state home at missouri auburn home vanderbilt home obviously florida jacksonville tennessee home mississippi state road kentucky road home against georgia tech for good old-fashioned hate
2: man i don't know i'll take a stab um
4: if i had to pick one game for georgia to lose and i don't think they'll lose it i'm going to pick the game at
2: kentucky uh because Back-to-back well, road games, or back-to-back road games. Like
0: that's either one of those two could be really, really dangerous, especially in the wake of getting Florida behind you, getting Tennessee behind you. Like, what if Mike Leach comes out and just has the game plan and kind of four straight games out, in a row? Higher.
4: Yeah, you know, like uh, four straight different systems. Like Florida is going to run something very different from Tennessee, who will run something different from Mississippi State, who will run something very different from Kentucky. Kentucky is usually. Uh, dependable on the lines of scrimmage this past year, that didn't actually matter because Georgia just mauled them anyway. I don't know that Georgia has the quite the same level of freak defensively coming up this year. I mean, Jalen Carter's a freak, but uh, and they recruit well, obviously, as we've said a couple times. But I, I could see that. The other reason I want to pick that game because if you see Georgia losing a regular season game, and you actually have a reason for it, not just hey, like it's likely to happen because losses happen. If injuries were to mount they're more likely to have mounted by the end of the year you know and and the 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 attrition level of the entire season Mm -hmm. maybe georgia limps into that game and takes a loss obviously i hope nobody gets injured but uh you know i can that's my reasoning
0: for that i guess
2: yeah i would go the i i think kentucky's a good call i would say maybe florida just because of the rivalry aspect to it
0: um, sure. Last year, Kentucky and Georgia was uh, SEC on CBS game of the week. It was wow. 0-0 at the end of the first quarter. It was fourteen to seven at halftime. Kentucky's defense kind of had the clamps on uh, Stetson Bennett and that Bulldogs offense. Eventually, kind of broke away from them. Uh, the Bulldogs end up winning thirty to thirteen. But I, I do not think that it was a game that when Kentucky's defense was on the field against Georgia's offense, Kentucky was in in the battle. Was very much a competitor there. Um it, I like that Kentucky or Mississippi state. If you would like to add a question to a future mailbag episode, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review. You can tell us who your sister's crush was on, you know whether it was <laughs> Sam Bradford or, you know, you can throw us uh, you know, some of these interesting questions where we get a chance to uh, to break down uh, schedules get a chance to break down who's gonna be the best quarterback in the big 12 all these things it's whatever you want as the listener so go and leave us a five-star review put your question in there we will add it to a future mailbag episode you can follow him on twitter at tom franelli you can follow him at bud elliott three you can follow me at chip underscore patterson we will be back with you monday at noon that's right Mondays at threes have become Monday at noon. Change it in your calendar or better yet, just subscribe to the YouTube channel and smash the bell for notifications so that we'll let you know when we're going live. Monday noon, youtube.com slash covered three gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you.